folks. The Field and Garden Podcast is honored to be partnering with the Growing for Market magazine. They have been publishing practical ideas and information for direct market flower and vegetable growers for over 31 years. All the articles are written by farmers who get their hands dirty and know what they're doing. The magazine is still on the same mission as when the Flower Farmer book author Lynn Bozinski founded this magazine back in 1992 to connect growers with the best ideas from other growers. There is dedicated flower content in every magazine, a decade's worth of back issues and over 1,600 archived articles from writers like Aaron Benzenkang, Gretel Adams, Pamela and Frank Arnowski, and Jonathan and Megan Lease, all available on the website. With 10 new issues every year available on paper, digital, or both, you're guaranteed to find something to fine-tune your farm and growing for market. So if you do farmer's markets, CSA, farm stands, pick your own florist sales, or wholesaling, whether you're a commercial grower or you just want to grow like one, subscribe to Growing for Market for the nitty-gritty details of growing, marketing, and the business of local farming. And I have a special offer for you. Use the coupon code WORKSHOP to get 25% off any subscription to the original Farmer to Farmer magazine at growingformarket.com. Friends, welcome back to another episode of the Field and Garden Podcast. And today is a serious topic. I'm talking building a flower farming business without having hoop or greenhouses. It held me back, but was just a myth I learned. Yes, you can grow commercially without a greenhouse to start seeds or a hoop house to grow perfect blossoms. My name is Lisa Mason Ziegler, and I built a successful cut flower business growing in the middle of the city with no greenhouses or hoop houses. And I hope this discussion helps you. Friends, I speak of this from time to time, but I thought I would put it all into one conversation because I know that so many people struggle with this. So for the first 10 years of my business, I started in 1998. The first 10 years, our city lot was um, 1.17 acres. That's less than one and a quarter acres. Our home is on that property, and there were two or three um, outbuildings also. And I carved out on that lot two quarter acre, give or take, gardens, working, cutting gardens. And that's what I grew in for the first 10 years. Then something happened in the 10th year that I never even allowed myself to dream of, to think of, to daydream about. And that was that we got the opportunity to purchase an adjoining piece of property. Next door to me was the 
largest undeveloped residential piece of land in our city. It was a 40-acre horse boarding farm. And there was all kinds of reasons why I just never let myself think about buying it because it was impossible on so many levels. But then the opportunity came and Steve and I purchased an additional one and a half acres that adjoined our property. I mean, friends, they are not making any more land, much less adjoining your property, much less in the middle of the city of 200,000 people, right? Um, So my little 1.17 then bumped up to a little less than two and three quarters. But when you give away all your right-of-ways that you have to do, we ended up with about two and a half acres of property that we could um, stake our claim on. And I want, I, what I want to say, and then I'm going to go back through and give some insider information. The reality is that even back when I started my flower farm career, I had visions of building a beautiful place for our family to live and gather um, on a beautiful piece of property with lots of depth of interest and engagement with nature and wildlife and um, all of these other things. I never really envisioned me having structures. And I think that was ingrained um, because I knew I couldn't really have them. Um, And in fact, that's not completely 100% true. And Tucker is now chewing on his squeaky ball. We'll see if we're going to have to extract it from him while I finish recording this. I knew to have structures in the middle of the city, I would have to file an incredible application and really just open the doors to my business for everybody's opinion. And I wasn't willing to do that because, friends, you don't have to be doing anything wrong to have a problem. Um, People are not familiar with farming here, even though this was a huge Mennonite farming community, this whole city was. I'm like last man standing, right? And that may sound heroic, but it has a lot of problems. They People don't know what to do with you. They don't understand. They don't think it's quite as cool as all the people that are probably listening to this podcast because you're probably a gardener or a farmer. Um, So I think in the back of my mind, I knew that I needed to pave the way to this business that I had visioned, doing it other than the ways that most people did it, right? So I wanted to build not a workplace, but a beautiful place to live, and that did not include any structures. And that means that I had to find a way to grow what would grow best in a premium state on the conditions that I have. And so I went to work building not a workplace that included structures, but a jumbo size, gigantic, humongous size garden 
in the middle of the city on a piece of property that would be beautiful when it was all said and done. And so that's kind of what was my guiding principles, I guess you might say. And then that brings me to 24 years in, and I am so grateful, y'all, that I do not have structures. Um, as I'm, you know, moved from high production years to low production to now no selling production, um, you know, I just, we grow still a very large cutting garden um, for education, demonstration, imaging, and videoing, right? And this transition is a gift because I don't have to take down, find a place, take care of <clears throat> structures. And I'm just here to say, sorry, y'all, I'm trying to kind of follow an outline. Um, and what spurred me to talk about this is that I got a DM from Mary Ann of One Hub Cap Farm. And her, she had a question for me about one of our um, instructors was doing a live answering questions, Ellen Frost, about her um, selling to florist on demand course. And anyway, she had sent me a message and I replied that, you know, send your message on to Ellen um, would be the quickest way to get an answer. And she replied back that, following me and my model has assured her that you can focus on what sells best for you in your conditions and is profitable and do it successfully. And I think, I think that so many people rush into this because it's easy for backyard gardeners to push the limits and quickly get in over their heads by the nature of just gardening. There are many of us that um, fall into that category. And I just wanted to remind everybody that you do not have to go into this business at 100 miles an hour and go beyond your means, go beyond your dream, perhaps, um, that you can really become a impactful cut flower grower without structures, no greenhouse to start seeds, no hoop houses to grow and protect your blooms from rain. Um, there is definitely a way to do that, and I am just so very, very grateful. So let's just go back, and I'll just hit on how I kind of managed, right, around all these problems. First, I want to say that I was so embarrassed when I first started growing cut flowers um, and started engaging with other cut flower growers. I can remember the first conference I ever went to, I was terrified to talk to anybody. Not because, as y'all know, I'm quite a talker, but I was embarrassed to reveal what my growing conditions were. I had two little quarter acre gardens and I had no structures. I didn't feel like I was a qualified cut flower grower. I felt like I was, you know, the locked away second hand grower that, 
you know, was just trying to be a, trying to, now, y'all, I'm sorry, I have to, Tucker is, Tucker, bring it here. Tuck, come here. Y'all hear his tail? He's now dissecting one of his favorite toys. Sorry, y'all. And, you know, most people would probably edit this out of their podcast, but the reality is, this is my life, and that's what I'm bringing to y'all, friends. So I was terrified, not terrified, I was embarrassed to reveal my growing conditions. Now, keep in mind, by the time I went to my first conference, I was producing over 4,000 stems of flowers a week in season, selling to florist, and banging some bucks out of here. You know, it's not like I was just getting started and piddling and not really even having a business. So I get how people feel. Um, So it really held me back. It really made me worry about it. First off, friends, something I struggle with too, we have just got to get over worrying about what other people think, period. Think how we could change the world. Think about that for a minute. If you were not worried about everything from the way your kid is dressed when they go to school, from the way your friends think, the way that everything and how you treat other people and acknowledge them, how that could change. Anyway, so that myth held me back. So how do you start? Um, In our high production years, we were producing upwards of 100,000 seedlings a year. That means, because, you know, if you follow along and learn from me um, in my courses, you know that there's almost seeds to be started a lot of the year for many of us and all year for some of us. Um, Not all at one time, but my system was that I could start 100,000 seedlings throughout the season and did it in a building with grow room and grow racks, grow lights, using soil blocking, um, and I did it. You know, I mean, I did it for almost 24 years now. Um, Eight of those years in super high warp production. So you can start seeds without a greenhouse. And how grateful am I today that I did not have to fire up the gas on a greenhouse to start seedlings because my building was already heated and air conditioned because it's used for other things. Um, Super grateful for that. So yes, it is very, very possible. And then I'm not saying that it's not a good idea if you can have a greenhouse or a hoop house. I'm just saying you don't have to. There are other ways. Hoop houses, yes, you can extend your season easier. You can protect blooms from rain. Um, But friends, I kind of did all of that out in the field in a different way. And maybe I didn't grow every crop that you can grow in a hoop house, but I grew a lot of them. And it's just a matter of finding your niche. Because friends, I was not about, and this is something else that Marianne said, it's not about growing what you think you want to grow. It's growing what sells, what is profitable, and what you can grow in your conditions. That's the secret to a profitable business, friends. Less expense, more growing equals better bottom line. 
So a hoop house can definitely extend, expand your possibilities, but you don't have to have hoop houses. I mean, every time we have a hurricane, every time we get unprecedented snow here, which seems to happen every year now, and I see people's houses collapsing under snow or the plastic ripped off or you having to take the plastic off to protect your hoop house from the, the hurricane force winds. And then guess what? You wake up the next morning and the hurricane took a turn during the night and it didn't even come. Friends, the additional work, and again, I want to say, because I'll hear from people, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm saying there is so much more to having structures. That reward that you get has a lot of work and price associated with it. So those first 10 years, um, I grew on those two quarter acre gardens. I'll tell you back then I didn't have any farm help. I did it all by myself. I had market help. Um, those were my most profitable years. Um, I about died doing it because I was working my can off. Talk about hustle. Um, but I was producing a gob of stems from a small space with low inputs and high return. I was selling mostly to florist. Um, I also sold to farmer's markets. I also sold to bouquet subscriptions and to a garden share program. I had a lot of streams of cash, um, which really what I want to say is a lot of streams of outlets. I get a lot of people saying, you know, how long can I sit on flowers in a cooler? You should never even ask that question. You should not be sitting on flowers in a cooler unless you absolutely have to. That should not be a part of your business. You need to find outlets for your flowers throughout the week so you have early harvest outlets and late week harvest outlets. Um, so those first 10 years were really good. I knew it wasn't sustainable, though. I couldn't keep up at that rate. So then when we did get that additional land, it made me as a business owner say, okay, now I can get some more people in here. Now I can produce more to generate enough to cover payroll and the additional expenses. And that's also when a tractor became a part of my life. Um, but still, in the back of my mind, um, that reality of wanting to build my place as a beautiful place for us to live and gather as a family. Something else that made me think about doing this podcast is I was walking, take Tucker for a walk um, down our road and around the corner, um, and I passed by our, what I call Hydrangea Alley. It's the hydrangeas that are planted along um, the street as well as a row inside my fence. It's a really shady, beautiful spot. Those hydrangeas, which are gorgeous right now because I haven't cut them because we're not doing production, were a major game changer as bouquet filler for our bouquet business all those years. So what I funded and built to build my business is now an amazing part of my home landscape. Are y'all getting the picture? Do you see what I'm talking about? It's just, there is another way, but nobody really talks about it. So 
building these gardens um, where we grew everything out in the field, um, grew those things that I figured out how to grow. For instance, you know, one of those myths that I busted was that I was told, I can't even tell you how many times, that you can't grow lisianthus out in the field. And you'll have to remember, this was 15 years ago. There wasn't social media. There was barely the internet. Um, all Everybody, all the conferences, um, and there's still people that tell you you can't do it very well, um, that you can't grow lisianthus. So first 10 years, I didn't grow it. Then I discovered, yes, you can. During our high production years, we planted five to 10,000 plants of lisianthus every year. Um, and rarely, if ever, lost blooms. Um, what you do learn is how, what colors are the best to grow in those conditions, how you keep your eye to the sky for rain, and how that determines the stage of harvest based on the weather coming. Um, it's just, you know what, friends, you know what I, I like to say? You have to develop your craft, your art of growing in a different way when you're a field grower. And it is just as magical in the end as growing with structures. And that's really the bottom line of what I wanted to say to you guys. Um, and I've mastered that. And, you know, I try so hard um, to get that message across to people. And I think that message really comes clear in my course, um, The Basics, because it's really about whether you're going to have structures or not. You need to master growing in the field before you take that next step, before you make that next investment, that long haul, long term plan. Um, so many of us are finding that by developing and learning, truly learning how to grow and manage and be profitable and sustainable field growing, learn that we don't ever want to take that step because I also believe that the majority of us that are embarking on a cut flower growing operation, very few are going to do this in high production. Very few are going to quit their day job. Let's just say husband and wife teams. We have some amazing examples of husband and wives that have built lifelong careers. I mean, look at Pamela and Frank Arnowski. Look at Steve and Gretel um, Adams. Um, there are, and there's so many others um, that have that are doing this as this is what puts the bacon on the table, right? And doing it in a way that provides for them and their employees um, in an honorable way. But they are the exception instead of the rule. In my experience, we have <clears throat> lots of folks that follow, um, you know, there's a breadwinner in the family. Somebody has an all-farm job or, you know, it's like I say all-farm, like so many of us don't even consider our place a farm. Um, somebody has a job or a business that's unrelated to farming where they provide the family with steady income and most often health insurance and benefits, right? Then a lot of stay-at-home mamas, a lot of retirees are looking to have developed their purpose in life 
and they want to develop it from their passion of gardening. And they want to do it with the bottom line, whether that bottom line is to give away all the money as a philanthropist, whether it is to pad your um, your IRA or it's to pay your mortgage down or to pay your kids private school um, tuition. I'm saying to you, I mean, how many mamas do we know that are stay-at-home moms, homeschoolers, that are flower farming to create some extra income? It can be done, friends, when you stay in the lane of what your conditions provide. And that's what led me to talk about building a flower farming business without hoop or greenhouses. And I'm so grateful for it. And thanks to Aunt Mary Ann of One Hubcap Farm for mentioning and reminding to me. I mean, y'all, I get so lost in the weeds sometimes, right? I mean, I have my hands in so many areas um, that sometimes it's hard for me to remember how impactful some of the simple steps are. And so, friends, you know, thanks for dropping in here on the Field and Garden podcast. And if you are enjoying my podcast, if it's helping you, it would mean a lot to me if you would post a review on whatever podcast app you listen in on. That helps me by that podcast app showing my podcast to people that are browsing. And that's the only way we grow, friends. We have half a million downloads, and that just befuddles my mind, friends, that y'all are out there listening, and um, it really, really helps. And the support that you guys offer um, through my website, thegardenersworkshop.com. Over there, you'll find even more free resources. But friends, let's cut to the ba- let's cut to the chase. What pays for all this free resource is the support that you all show us. Show us by when you do need supplies, visiting our online garden shop where we just sell the same tools, seeds, supplies, my books that I use on my farm, as well as our online courses. Our online courses um, really are what fund all of the backdrop to the whole, all the resources that we offer you. And it also funds those instructors that give you those resources. And we are so pleased over all of that, friends. And um, I just thought I would add that in because I don't often say thank you for your business, but we are so grateful for your business. And we go, we have a team currently of 14 people. More than half of those are primarily to support our free resources and our online courses. And they, we all have the same mission. We want to make it so that every one of you, no matter where you are in your walk, from a home gardener that wants to have a little cutting patch, right up to the budding flower farmer that dreams and is working at it, to the seasoned farmer that needs to restructure, regroup, expand, or scale their business. Our whole team's vision and mission 
is to help you where you are. And we appreciate you so much. All right, friends, until we meet again, just remember, you can build a flower farm and business without greenhouses or hoop houses. I know because I'm your poster child. I'm Lisa Mason Ziegler, and you've been listening to the Field and Garden Podcast. Ciao. Before we close out today, I want to share a note um, from one of our online course students. Um, It's from Claire, and she writes, Dear Lisa, I just finished your basic course, and I am so grateful for the generous information you shared. Thank you for all your time, energy to create, and offer of resources like this to aspiring farmers, gardeners, and established farmers. It was packed full of goodness. I feel even more excited to take on my first season. Sincerely, Claire. Friends, I'm sharing this note and others, as you'll hear through time, because I can't tell you how powerful encouraging other people are. I mean, we were, the whole crew was so encouraged by Claire's note. Uh, We have many notes, and I'm going to be reading them from time to time now, and um, because it encourages you to encourage others and for others to encourage you, right? So we just wanted to share that with you. So friends, till we meet again, ciao.